So growing up, my parents had a TV that looked something like this. Um, maybe we can grab the lights back there really quick, and you'll be able to see that a little bit better. Does anybody remember, remember your old school TV? You remember that? Does anybody, did it look like that? Anybody have a TV that looked like that? Okay, so it's got the, the buttons down the side, so however many buttons you have on the TV, that's how many channels you have, right? There's no HDTV, there's no channel 875, right? It's just, it is what it is, right? And then, uh, you can't see it, but it had the antennas on it, right? And I remember going up there and taking the antennas, and did you ever wrap it in tinfoil? You know, do that whole thing, and well, if I stand here, then we get channel 8, right? And if I stand over here, then we get channel 5, right? Um, and then it's got, you know, the power buttons. Ours didn't exactly look like it. It just had that one little knob in the lower right-hand corner, and you pull out to turn it on, and you push it in to turn it off, right? I mean, it was pretty much, it was that simple. And, um, and so this is what this uh, TV, uh, now if you're, you're in my generation, if you're in the 20s and 30s, as we've established before here at this church, um, if you're in my generation, this is what you would call old school, Right? is what you call, I mean, it's so old school that I actually go to the next slide. Um, there's me and my parents um, <laughs> sitting together there. So, uh, or leave it to Beaver. I don't know what, whatever one, but it kind of looks something like that, you know, so there we are. And, and I had my, my hair nice and combed over and everything. And, and uh, so there we are sitting there like that. And so some of you are saying, John, you have no idea what an old TV is. And you know what? You're right. I don't. <laughs> but that's about as far as I go back. Uh, you know, that is not from the 80s. I can tell you that. But um, so it looks something like that. And so the one I grew up with was in color. It did have color. And in fact, it still has color. And that's the most amazing thing about it. And, and why I remember this TV so fondly is that um, just until a few years ago, it was still in use. I mean, I, I don't know when it was made or whatever, but I mean, it was there when I was growing up. So uh, early 80s, it was there. And I remember, I don't even know if we had a remote. Uh, you had to get up off your rear end and, and push the thing in uh, like that. So I think my parents got in the 80s. But this guy, this television was like the energizer bunny of TVs. I mean, it just kept going and going and going. And it went with my brother to college. And then it went with me to college. And then it was that sad, fateful day a couple years ago when I received the call from my parents. It was like somebody had died or something. And they're like, John, the TV has been replaced, right? Because at some point, you got to upgrade, right? And so my parents uh, get a new uh, uh, flat screen uh, TV. That gets brought in, and this, this, this treasure, this gem in its old age went to the nursing home of televisions the corner of our basement underneath the ping pong table. So that's where, that's where that went. And so, because we all know that in the world of TVs, uh, as soon as you get the latest and greatest, what happens? The day that you walk home with a brand new TV or a brand new computer, what happens? They come, it's out of date, right? They come up with a new one. It's always the latest and greatest. A better one comes out and now you have to get this one and it's bigger and bigger and skinnier and skinnier. And now, of course, the big push... The big push these days, I don't know if you've watched these commercials, if you really want entertainment, if you really want to get everything you can out of your TV, well, then you need a TV that's in 3D. That's right. Not 1D, not 2D, 3D. Pretty soon they'll have 6D or something like that. I don't know. And, and, and so the, the plug here is that the action on the screen literally jumps out at you, that it's, it's, it's in your living room. And uh, why would you settle for 2D when you can have 3D? And you watch the com these commercials and the message is loud and clear. If you're living in 2D, you're missing out. You're missing out on seeing the world as it was meant to be. 
So regardless this morning of what you think about the necessity of having uh, 3D capabilities on your TV or whether you really don't care and you're just happy with your old 1981 clunker that you have, more power to you. But regardless of what you think about that, I'd like to propose to you today that there is one thing, there is one thing in life that you absolutely, absolutely must have 3D capabilities for, and that's your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple. So what we're going to explore today is that if we're going to faithfully follow the life of Jesus and what it looks like to be his church, that it is an absolute necessity that we learn to live in 3D. In other words, that there's three key dimensions to our lives as disciples and as a church body. And so I'd invite you right now just humor me. If you haven't laughed in a while, you need to laugh and just look like a fool for a second, okay? So if you have glasses, you can actually do this. If you have glasses, take them off, and now they are, and, and if you don't have glasses, take off your imaginary glasses. This is an all play. Everybody, uh, so take them off and, and repeat after me. These are my real 3D glasses. These are my real 3D glasses. I am now putting them on. Okay, so put them on. So, awesome. And so if you could, turn to your neighbor and look at them with all seriousness and say, it's time to go 3D. Just look at your neighbor. Just tell them it's time to go 3D. Oh, yes, it's time. And because it's time, why don't you flip open your Bibles, if you're not already, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to discover what a 3D life is all about. Acts is in the New Testament. Uh, if you can remember, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, it's right after John. Uh, and uh, if you're just catching up today, we've been in Acts uh, the last few weeks. We've been following uh, the life of the early believers, specifically our good friend Peter, who we've been affectionately calling Rocky, uh, or the Rock, as Jesus called him. As we're concluding this series called Rocky today, we're kind of taking one final look at the life of Simon Peter all the way. We've, we've looked at his life all the way from being called as an or- ordinary fisherman, and now today, we find him as a sold-out, fully devoted missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you remember last week, before we get to Acts, if you remember last week, we ended our story with Jesus and Peter there on the beach, right? Around a fire of burning coals, right? That's where we left off with the story. And Peter is reinstated as a leader. He's denied Jesus, and Jesus says, do you love me three times? And Jesus then says, so feed my sheep. Peter, you're the rock. You're still the rock that I'm going to choose to build my church on. So go be my witness. Go share the good news of the gospel with everybody that you encounter. And that's where we find Peter today. So just before we get to our scripture reading, if you're in Acts chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 38. So this is just before we hear about the early church. This is actually the very beginning of it. And that's exactly what Peter's doing. He's sharing the gospel And if you look at me at verse 38, Peter is just concluding this heartfelt, passionate speech to thousands of people. And it says this, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise to you and your children and even to the Gentiles. And then it says, verse 41, skip down to verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Talk about an altar call. 
I mean, this is serious business, right? But you have to understand something. When you, when you read a story like this, you think, oh, it's Peter, right? I mean, he's like the head dude in the Catholic Church, right? He's got all his stuff together. He knew exactly what he was doing, right? This is old Pete. This is still just our, our, our friend Pete, right? We know the flaws of his life. We know he's an imperfect human being, just like every single one of us. And at this point, you've got to understand, he's not Billy Graham or anything at this point. He's just Peter. He's just a regular old guy, but him and the rest of his friends, the apostles, have been set on fire by the Holy Spirit, and they're not the same. And so Peter and all his friends, they know three things. This is who I was. This is what God did. And this is who I am now. This is who I was. This is what God did. And this is who I am now. They don't know anything at this point about church planting, about buildings, about multiple services, about worship bands. All they know is, all they know is that this Jesus is capable of transforming people's lives. Not just adding a little bit, not just being something you stick on to the side of your life, but radically changing who you are as a person, transforming your life. And so it's in this moment, Peter gives this speech, and I, I would imagine he's just so full of the Spirit, he's just going and going and going and going, he, don't even, he doesn't even know what he's saying. And he looks up, and all of a sudden, there's like 3,000 people starting to come towards him, right? This is like an incredible altar call, and people are, are coming up, and, and their, their lives are being changed, and they're being convicted. And I can see Peter just looking up with a little bit of humor and turning to the, to the, the apostles around him and goes, guys, I don't know what I just did, and I don't know what just happened, but I think we just started the church, <laughs> right? Like, oh, what are we going to do now, right? There's kind of this shock that comes over them. They heard about the church. They heard Jesus mention this thing, this church, this gathering, this called out group, and now it's happening. And so the number one question that I think Peter and the rest of the apostles are asking at this point in the scripture is, well, now what, <laughs> right? There's all these people. What do we do now, Right? What is the best way to organize all these people? What is the best way to teach these people to live like Jesus? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a, uh, maybe if you're like Peter, you've been in a, a new job, ever been in a new job or a brand new role in life, ever started something new, right? Quite a few of you, right. So maybe, have you ever find your, found yourself in that moment having absolutely no clue what you're doing? Just be honest, right? Some of you are like, that's my life. I have no clue what I'm doing, right? Welcome to my life, right? So, and, and it's in those moments when you don't know what to do and you're left all alone, what do we normally default to? We default to what we know, right? Or in other words, what's been modeled for us. No matter how good a parents, your parents were, you're probably going to act a lot like them because that's what was modeled for you growing up. Right? And the same is true of Peter. So I imagine Peter kind of, okay, we got all these thousands of people and they kind of sneak away into the woods and they build a little fire and Peter uh, gathers the apostles around and he goes, huddle up, guys, huddle up. Okay, uh, I don't know what just happened, uh, but now we got to care for all these people and they're here and we got to teach them to live like Jesus. So, okay, guys, uh, use your heads now. Um, how... And they, they got out and then he pulled out all his WWJD bracelets. No, I'm joking. And they, they got around, but literally he said... What would Jesus do? I mean, how did Jesus live? I mean, think about that. Just hold on to your Bible for a second and, and ask yourself the question. If that's all you had, 
You had never visited any other church. You'd never listened to any other preacher on a podcast. You've never heard anybody else's opinion about what the church is supposed to be. And all you had was the stories of Jesus in the four Gospels. What would it look like to follow him? What would your life look like? What would the church look like? Gospels never mentioned worship services. <laughs> it's never, never mentioned to build a building, and that's the church. It's never mentioned to have events or programs. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And how did Jesus do that? And what I believe, where we're going to go today, what I believe is that what the disciples discovered that day is that Jesus lived a three dimensional life. And no, this is not a, my attempt at a 3D TV. So. Um, so what I believe they discovered, there's the disciples huddling around that fire and they ask, how did Jesus live? And so what I believe that we'll discover is that Jesus lived a 3D life. And no, you didn't have to put your glasses on to see it, but we have to be aware of what he's called us to do. So here is my attempt at drawing Jesus's 3D life. I've been practicing all week, so don't laugh at me. Everybody go, ooh. Everybody go, ah. Does that kind of look 3D? Kind of? I'll accept a round of applause. Thank you. I worked on that a long time. Absolutely. So, just imagine that it goes in or comes out towards you. It's an illusion. So, first of all, Jesus lived his life in 3D. He lived his life in three key relationships. And I'm even going to mix up the colors so you can see it. When we look at Jesus' life, he lived up with his father. He had this relationship with his father. He lived in. He had a relationship with the disciples and with those around him, and he lived out with the world around him. Pretty easy to remember, right? Up, in, and out. And so as Peter and the apostles are reflecting back on the time of Jesus, these, these three characteristics of his life start to emerge. And so let's take a look at those individually, and let's start with up, because that's at the top. So um, keep your finger in Acts. And uh, we're actually going to look at this scripture. We're going to be bouncing around, but let's look at this scripture today from John chapter 5. What characterized Jesus' life and how would that impact the life of the early church? First of all, Jesus had a relationship with his father. Let's read this together from John chapter 5. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus makes it very clear that this relationship with his Father is so vitally important that without him, Jesus could do nothing. This, this intimacy, this communication with God is not optional. It's a necessity. In fact, dozens of times throughout the Gospels, we hear things like this. Jesus went away to pray. Jesus went away to a quiet place. Jesus went out early in the morning. Jesus was talking with God through prayer. It was as fundamental for him as breathing. 
breathing in and out was that daily relationship with God. In fact, Jesus then turns and says to us that this, this up dimension of your relationship with God is so vitally important that Jesus actually tells his disciples, it's like, it's like a tree branch that you see, and then uh, it's like the vine, and, and we're the branches that come out of that vine. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to be a branch if you're not connected to the vine because you have no life. You have no nutrients flowing into you and you're not going to bear fruit. In fact, Jesus says if we're not connected to him, if we're not abiding in Jesus on a daily basis, that we can't produce fruit. That in fact, we can do nothing by our own. So I know that some of us learn by listening, some of us learn by seeing, and some of us learn by doing. So just humor me a bit. We're going to do a little action today. So everybody just go like this. Just kind of raise the roof and say, up! Okay, so that's the action for up. You think you can remember that? Okay, cool. So Jesus lived up. Secondly, when Peter and the gang are looking at Jesus' life, they said, wow, he really lived inward with those around him. The very beginning of his ministry, Jesus, who's God himself, does something radical. You might think he's the God of the universe. He doesn't need anything. And one of the first things that Jesus does as he begins his ministry is he immerses himself in community. There's this inward dimension. You might be thinking, he's God. He doesn't need anyone else. But has it ever occurred to you that when Jesus was modeling this kind of life, especially with the inn, he was modeling it for the disciples long before he knew they would ever understand it. And that's what good teachers do. They lead you to the place that they want you to go. So read this with me from Mark chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And it continues on from there. So notice the reason that Jesus chose the 12. This is the very beginning of his ministry. What's the reason that Jesus chose the 12? That they might be with him. That they might be with him. Jesus chose them and chooses us to follow him so that we might live our lives in community with those around us. You want to know where life groups started? Right there. They're probably the best one, right? They probably did some DVD studies with Bill Hybels and stuff like that. No, they didn't. This was uh, your bachelor degree in, uh, in Jesus and this was your master's degree in Jesus because you did life with him. And so all throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus loved these guys so much that he didn't say, okay guys, uh, Tuesdays at 7 uh, will be uh, our life group, so come on, uh, Judas, don't be late. Come on, and here we go. <laughs> much more, much more than a once a week Bible study. They truly did life together, and that's where we get the words life groups. Jesus loved them so much that he invested in their life more than anything else that he did. He invested in the 12. And even within the 12, even inside of that, there were three, Peter, James, and John. Inside of that, his closer circle of three that really knew him. Who knows you? Who knows you? Who's in that inward dimension of your life? Who truly knows you today? Not just knows some things about you, but who knows you? So everybody take your thumbs and go like this and just kind of point to the people next to you and go in, in. And what's this? Up. All right, you're getting the hang of it. Awesome. And I'm getting some eyes rolled at me. You just wait. 
You haven't seen nothing yet. And last, but not least, the last dimension of Jesus' life is this outward dimension. When we think about community, when we think about having a relationship with God, that's usually the last one that we think about. But it was a significant part of Jesus' life. Because he had this constant communication with his father, he never lost track of the vision that God had for his life, to reach out to a lost and dark world with love and forgiveness. And so over and over amidst the crowds, Jesus steps right into the most hopeless of situations, and he heals the blind and the crippled and the lame. He's, He's constantly interrupted. He's begged for. He's grabbed. He's pulled in a million different directions every day. Can you relate to that? You ever thought that maybe Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be needed in so many different ways, to have a rough day on the job, to have a stressful workplace? Maybe you can relate with that. But here's the thing. Do you know that Jesus did more ministry on the way to doing ministry than anybody else in history? Jesus did more ministry on the way to doing ministry than anybody else in history. And so if we take our cues from Jesus, it's almost as if he saw hurting people as divine appointments rather than inconveniences. And is that true of your life? Or when you go through your day, do you have your checklist in front of you, your to-do list, and you've got your blinders on, and nobody's going to get in the way? And anything that gets in the way of that, anybody that God might be trying to bring into your path, well, they're just an inconvenience. Well, they're just slowing me down. What would it look like for you to do ministry in the midst of your life, for Jesus on the way to doing more ministry? What if all of life was lived on mission rather than just a project or event? What if you have the opportunity to do out every single day? So here's the seventh inning stretch, all right? Ready? It's an all play. You're going to get this. Ready? Here we go. In, right? Okay, I have to try that one again. And now just stretch. This is the seventh inning stretch. Just stretch as high as you can. Out! And say it out! Out. Okay, so we've got. Out! You didn't know you were going to do calisthenics today, did you? Woo! We're getting a workout. So what about you? What about you? Are you living a 3D? kind of life. Jesus says, just like the commercials for the brand new uh, Samsung HD 3D TV, are you experiencing life the way it was meant to be seen? Jesus says, I want to put a new set of glasses on you today and help you experience life in a brand new sort of way. And so Jesus's model of a balanced 3D life for his disciples is all they know. That's what they know. And so, too, it becomes the model of the early church. And so Peter starts to organize this motley crew of believers in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So let's look back there. Where you have your finger stuck in there, let's turn back to that. We see this life taking shape. This is all they know. This was the life of Jesus Christ. And it also becomes the life of the church. That's all they know. That's what they've seen modeled for them. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. There's, you see this, there's this hunger to grow in the knowledge of God. There is an upward focus. Verse 43. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. When's the last time that you were in awe of God? Or is it just kind of ho-hum religion 
these days? What does that upward dimension of your life look like? Does he still amaze you? Or is it just, oh, another day? Does, have you allowed him to blow your mind recently? Does he still amaze you? That's what they saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Next, did you see the inn? Did you see the inn going on? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, a moment here about the word fellowship. A lot of you, probably when you hear the word fellowship, what do you think of? Donuts, good one. What else? Fellowship, what do you think of? Donuts, coffee, right? You know what I think of when I hear the word fellowship? Church basements, squeaky tables, and 1970s green carpet. That's what I think of when I think of fellowship. And little old ladies sipping their coffee and going, oh, you are so cute. That's what I think of when I think of fellowship. And maybe for some of you, that's it. It's a church basement. It's some squeaky tables set up and a bunch of people that are three times your age sitting around drinking tea and talking about the latest small town gossip, right? For me, that was fellowship. The fellowship hour growing up. You get your church coffee. It's not that great because it's church coffee. And you get your cookie or whatever. And there you go. And that's fellowship and nothing against church basements and nothing against little old ladies that pinch cheeks. But somewhere along the line, for many of us, the word fellowship has become synonymous with shallowness. Fellowship and shallowness. And if we're not careful, we can let that shallowness start to creep into our understanding of what it means to do life together. In fact, you heard us talk this morning, you hear us talk all the time, get in a life group, get in the life group. It's important to do life together. And I'm really excited to announce that um, we have a brand new life group starting, and it's one like you've never seen before. And so if any of you are looking for a little bit more of a shallower approach uh, to doing life together, I've got just the group for you. So let's take a look at this together. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? That's cool. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Wants cake. <laughs> and there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. 
We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? Who's interested? Anybody interested in that? Wow. Everything you just saw just deconstructs everything we've been trying to accomplish here for the last three years. So there you go. By the way, that's not a real group here. You won't see that uh, anytime. We, we actually do enjoy doing some of the things that they are making fun of. But, um, and we laugh and we giggle and we laugh and we giggle, but we laugh and we giggle because it's true, because we've all been there, because we know that's the temptation, that's the danger to settle for that kind of fellowship. But instead, the fellowship that we find in Acts chapter 2 isn't just doing Bible study for an hour once a week. This life of discipleship literally becomes their lives. So when we read that they were devoted to the fellowship, we find the word here, koinonia. Everybody say, koinonia. Koinonia. You learned your Greek word for the day. Far from surfacey conversations with people that you see once a week, we find that the Greek word koinonia is interchangeable with the word intimacy. And dare I say intercourse. Now go with me for a second here. Think about that. Church ladies sipping tea on the green carpet with the squeaky tables in your church basement. Intimacy. Intercourse. We have missed something here in the word fellowship. Another definition of of, uh, koinonia is a pledge of loyalty or commitment. That's what the early church was experiencing. Anything but shallow. This fellowship This inward dimension of the early church wasn't just a Bible study where you try to get in and out with the least amount of awkwardness, right? This is family. This is a group of people that you've looked in the eyes and you've said, we're linking arms and we're going to do life together. We're going to learn what it looks like to live like Jesus because his love is worth giving our whole lives to. Remember, Jesus' model of discipleship was life on life. So the early church said, we can't disciple each other. That's the entire reason of our existence. We can't disciple each other if we're not doing life together. And we can't know each other if we're not doing life together. And it may sound, sound a bit strange, but go with me for a second here. Koinonia, fellowship, life groups, doing life together. We know that intimacy leads to reproduction. And reproduction leads to growth. And so if it's true in families, why would it not be true in the family of God, in the church? Healthy community, healthy families reproduce. So healthy disciples make healthy leaders, and healthy leaders plant healthy churches. That's how the church went from zero to millions. There was no events There was no programs. There was no flashy worship services. Life on life doing it together. Which is exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Daily growth. Daily growth. What does your fellowship look like today? Is there reproductive multiplication elements in your life Today, what does your fellowship look like? And here's the question. What's being reproduced in your life? And is there any fruit from your life on other people's trees? 
Think about that for a second. Is there fruit from your life on other people's trees? Have you reproduced in anyone lately? So when we talk about the inward dimension of the 3D life, I can honestly say that one of the things I'm so appreciative about you as a community is that you've taken this seriously. You're not going to see any shallow, small groups listed on the brochure. In fact, you've taken this very seriously. I'm going to invite up uh, Chad and Rachel uh, to come up here, and uh, they're going to share just a little bit about their uh, experiences of what it looks like uh, to go deeper uh, in a small group. So uh, go ahead and come on over, you guys, and I'm going to have you uh, introduce yourself uh, really quickly. And uh, as they share, uh, think about uh, what you would answer uh, to some of these questions. And so, Rachel, I'll have you go first and just uh, explain what, uh, what's going on with the microphone and then uh, what kind of groups you have been a part of or what you're currently doing. Yep. Um, my name is Rachel Gustafson, and I have been a part of a life group here at City Branch for the last year. Um, it's a lot of young ladies in the group with me. And... Um, We have grown and grown and grown over the last year, and so just recently we have split into two groups, and um, that's been really cool to see. I still get to spend time with the other girls socially, Um, but we have an opportunity to have a little bit smaller of a group and dig a little bit deeper. Awesome. Chad, how about you? You just introduced myself. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Hey, I'm Chad. Um, Been with Hope since uh, 2009, so uh, my first experience with small group is I jumped in and uh, participated with Alpha. And from Alpha, Year of the Bible was going on and got in a group with Year of the Bible. Uh, By that time, when it was wrapping up, there was eight of us, and so then we then uh, officially formed a small group from that eight. And then I'm currently participating in Building Brothers here at Hope Des Moines. Awesome. Chad, I'll stay with you uh, for this one. As guys, um, and for all of us, but a lot of times as guys, we struggle with this idea of fellowship. I mean, I I said the I word, intimacy, and ooh, that kind of shakes us in our boots a little bit. Uh, I think especially as guys, um, what were some of the initial barriers for you as a guy to truly engaging and going deeper in life? What were some of those initial barriers that you had? Um, For me, I was actually away from the church for over 20 years, so getting in, um, I felt like I didn't belong and didn't have that uh, feeling like I'm going to hold somebody back, Um, but that was quite opposite from uh, meeting everybody, and that kind of took me in. The other thing, too, is just uh, get into that vulnerable state um, and start to share those uh, different feelings. So yeah. that was a big thing. So Absolutely. Rachel, I'll ask you this next question. After you kind of got into the group not knowing what to expect, what have you seen different about the quality as you're living a 3D kind of life? What have you seen about your life that's different because you have that group, because you have that fellowship? Um, what, what had been the impact of the, the life group um, on your walk with God? John sent me questions ahead of time that he was going to ask, and this was not on the list. This is an on-the-spot answer. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? (laughs) We rehearsed. No, we didn't. Um, What is different about your life today because you have this life group? What what is different about the quality of your life? Um, It's been a source of encouragement for me to continue pursuing um, my faith and my journey with the Lord on my own. Um, 
I've had these women speak truth into me, and sometimes they don't always realize that they're doing that. And so that's certainly been a blessing. Um, and it's been amazing just to learn from some of them. Um, we're all at different places, and some of us have kids, and some of us are single, and some of us are just married without children. Um, and just learning from, from each of those different walks of life has been um, a blessing. Awesome. Chad, I'll put you on the spot, too. Right. Uh, same question. What's... Uh, What's the new Chad like versus the old Chad? Um, the old Chad um, had uh, self-esteem issues, um, fear, and um, the transformations now is I'm living more of a fearless life, um, believing a lot um, in me, and um, kind of dissolved those false beliefs about myself. And um, it has just been kind of an amazing journey. Um, through the two small groups that I've been in and once uh, our small group that was once open we closed it and we decided to uh, go to that deep end and just jump right in and uh, let's go below the surface and we all did it together and uh, we're still on that journey encouraging everybody um, along the way and it's just been great to see other people uh, transform their lives too in the process. Awesome and I, and I have to say too there, for both of you uh, this, these aren't just words that they're saying. There's truly been life change. If you, if you knew Chad a couple years ago, he is a completely different person now than he was. And I think that from what you're saying, you would attribute that to, it's great to do this together, but where that happened was in your life group. I mean, it, it seems like that was the difference maker. Uh, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, cool. I'll have you hand it back to Rachel. Last question, and this one hopefully is not on the spot. So you're sitting out there, and you're somebody, and you're saying, hmm, this whole life group thing, I really don't know. I don't have time. I don't really know if I want to make it a priority in my life. What would you say to that person that is sitting on the fence right now saying, ah, I've been thinking about it, but I'm just not quite sure. What would you say to them? I would say that we were built to live in community and that's so evident in the things that John talked about in his sermon and that's so evident in the way that Jesus lived his life um, that we were built to be a part of community and one of my biggest concerns when I got involved in life group um, here was that I wouldn't have the time to commit and I wouldn't have the time to invest um, in the woman that I was spending time with and it, for me I, I had I had to be told that it had to be a priority um, because that's that's part of that's part of our journey as Christians and that's part of our journey um, in our pursuit of the Lord. Awesome, Chad. What would you add to that? To somebody that's trying to decide whether it's important or not. Um, well, for me, um, and what I basically say is uh, definitely give it a chance and uh, kind of just definitely jump in. I try to do everything kind of by myself. And that was definitely not the case, and we definitely have to have community through that. Um, me, it was basically trying to find a safe environment, you know, to do that in. And um, Hope Programs does do that very well and uh, has a lot of great people to model that after. Um, but what I would do is, um, you know, Alpha is a good entry point um, really for um, anybody, but we also have live groups that are going on right now because I know for me, being in a public setting and not being some someone's personal home, uh, my entry point had to be you know somewhere I felt safe before I ever right. transferred into a uh, personal home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys. Let's thank them for for sharing their story. Thank you guys. And of course, there's much much more there, but I think if anything sticks out to me through what they said, 
it's hard to do hope without a life group. It's hard to be a part of the community here and not be in a life group, and that's just because that's what we were created to do. If we learn anything from the early church and what Peter and the other apostles, how they modeled the life is that as the church got bigger, it got smaller. The more people, the more living rooms. That's how they did it. And there's this tendency, there's this fear out there that as we grow in numbers, that we're going to lose the koinonia, that we're going to lose the fellowship. And it could, if we decided to be a church with life groups instead of a church of life groups. And there's a big difference there. You see, the church at its core, if the entire triangle is the church, who you have been called to be in life groups is a part of that, to live up, in, and out as a life group, to live up, in, and out as a part of the larger church as an individual. We are a group of disciples on mission together. That's what it means to be a part of the church. And the beauty is that when the church in Acts started living up, in, and out, when they started living up and in, the out happened naturally. In verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. God is calling us to be the kind of church where our heart beats for the things that his heart beats for. That we love each other so well that, that whether people will ever step inside this building, they're different because Hope Des Moines exists in this city. Does your group, does your life group, do the people that you surround yourself with, do you have an out dimension to your group? It wouldn't hurt three or four times a year in your group to ask, who are the people? Where are the places that God is calling us to? Maybe it's the refugee community. Maybe it's the single moms. Maybe it's the young boys that need male role models as mentors. What if the ultimate purpose that God has called you together in your group wasn't for you, but for the people that will be blessed because the word of God came to life through you? What if it wasn't just about Bible study? What if it was about letting the word get through you and letting it come to life up in and out? It's what Jesus modeled for Peter and disciples. It's what helped shape the church from the very beginning. And so my final question to you is, what about you? How is this 3D life of Jesus taking shape in your life today? Yes, as a church. Yes, as life groups. But what about you? If it's a three-legged stool, if those three dimensions are a three-legged stools, is it a little bit wobbly for you today? Or is it a sturdy foundation on which to stand? Is there an aspect that you're saying, ooh, I'm a little bit convicted. I'm a little bit challenged. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because my version of the Christian life is just this. Or my version of the Christian life is just 2D. Jesus says, I want you to learn to live life the way that I created you to in 3D. Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. Not when you get yourself cleaned up. Not when you get it all figured out. But right now, right in the middle of your circumstances, let me show you what you were created for. To know me deeply as your father. To experience rich fellowship with those around you. And to learn to love people with no agenda. That's my prayer for myself And that's my prayer for us, that we would know that kind of intimacy with the Father. And if we learn anything, if I've learned anything over the last three years, it's that when you keep your eyes 
focused up. When you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the in and the out, well, they tend to fall into place. It's an incredible thing, and, and I have to say that, that when I get a little bit out of whack and I get a little bit out of balance myself, I have to remember, where are my eyes at? Where am I focused? And for the inward dimension, I have to tell you this. Tiffany and I were having dinner with another pastor and his wife that are in ministry together, and we were talking to them about our frustration that it's so hard for us to stop talking about church. <laughs> like, we'll do ministry all day, and then we'll come home, and we'll sit around the dinner table, and we just can't stop talking about church. And we were just sharing with them how frustrated we are, and that, that we just can't stop talking about you. And they said, you know, that used to be a frustration for us too, until we realized we love these people. We, we love you. We, we love doing life with you. And the light bulb went off. You know, there's nothing else that we'd rather be doing. So why would we not want to talk about the people that we love? And that's the same for us and for you. We love the inn. We love doing life with you. Because we love the inn so much, we know that ultimately it's not about us. Because when I think about the city... For some reason, I've just been driving around lately and it seems like, man, God, what are you doing here? Are we just this little, <laughs> this quaint little church on the corner? I mean, what, what are we doing? And for some reason, the last couple weeks, I'm just driving up 42nd Street and driving down University. God's just breaking my heart for people. And it's not like the guy at the cafe or the woman... <laughs> dragging her bags down the street or the kids crossing over the street after school. It's like, these are people that God loves. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to just be one more quaint little church with some quaint little life groups and be quaint little church people. Des Moines doesn't need more quaint little churches. It needs more Jesus. It needs more Jesus through all of us. And I just, I don't know, I've been driving in my car and I just... I tear up when I think about those people that don't know him and I think about, man, I don't want to just go through the motions of one more Bible study after another. When does it start to come alive for you? When does it start to become more than walking in and walking out and putting in your time? And I just, it grips me and I've just been praying that somehow that the people that I see and the people that I experience every single day, and this is my prayer for us, that God would break our hearts for them. That if that's not what's resonating in us, then we've got to start over. Then we've got to take a look and say, what is it that we're doing here? And maybe that's with your life group. But what is it that we're doing here? Are we just spinning our wheels? Are we just like a top that's spinning? Or are we the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be, this unstoppable force that nothing is going to stand in the way of? that the gates of hell will not prevail against. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a fellowship, of a koinonia that's worth giving your life to, that's worth getting up every single day and saying, I am living my life on mission as a disciple, as a missionary here today. That's worth giving your life to. Long before I ever came to hope, a pastor told me, John, 
the number one piece of advice that I have you for starting a church, for being a church planner, and the number one piece of advice that I have for every single person in your congregation. If you are not in love with the people that you're trying to reach, then ask God to give you a bigger heart. Because ultimately, it's not about me. It's not about hope. It's not about a church. It's not about a building. It's not about us. It's about God. And it's about his glory. And it's about people knowing the love that the Father has for them. That's what a 3D life is all about. And that's my prayer for us today. So maybe tomorrow morning when you get up for work, take those imaginary glasses, put them on, and say, God, what would you have me do today? Amen?